Hello, Four Sober Chicks podcast listeners. We are Heather, Meredith, Dana, and Tracy, four women recovering out loud. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Welcome everyone to the Four Sober Chicks podcast. I'm Heather and joining me is Tracy, Meredith, and Dana. And we have a special host this evening, Lauren. Before we kick off and start talking about our wonderful guest. Um, if you like what you hear today, please hit subscribe and send, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. All right, today's podcast is all about moms. So I'm gonna introduce Lauren real quick. Lauren entered inpatient treatment in 2008 uh, to work on her alcohol and substance use. Immediately, she started recovering out loud and feels that it helped keep her recovery strong over the last 15 years. Congratulations on 15 years. Lauren has faced many challenges as a mom, which has led her to start a recovery platform called Moms Recovery Coaching. She and a team of certified recovery coaches provide group support to moms in recovery, women recovering from anything. Lauren loves people and enjoys connecting with others wherever she goes, especially those in the recovery community. Um, So thank you for being here. And um, I'm gonna just jump in and let you tell us about yourself and and then we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me and having me here. Um, I guess I'll start with a little bit about my story. Um, And believe me, I can make any uh, short story long. So (laughs) don't hesitate to say, okay. Um, But I grew up in a household that didn't really drink that much. Uh, Apparently my dad drank a little bit when he was um, in his younger years, but I didn't grow up around drinking or any drug use. Um, But it kind of took over for me, I would say late high school and then in in college. But I was a person that, um, so I went to college for, I went to a two-year school for x-ray and I was an overachiever. I am a perfectionist, recovering from perfectionism as well. And I was really great at covering all of it up. So I was leading that double life. Like I had amazing grades, um, received a clinical award for my class. Like I just exceeded. But meanwhile, I was drinking excessively and experimenting with so many substances. It, it baffles me that I succeeded in in that program and that people were asking me to work at their facilities because I was just a hot mess. But right, all the while thinking, these are the things that are helping me get through all the stress of life. Like that's, that's what I was telling myself. Um, I was very ambitious. I ended up taking a traveling job. And so like 20 years old, and I was traveling the country um, as an x-ray tech, um, always finding places to people to drink with and uh, people that had substances that I wanted to be a part of. Again, I don't know how I did it, but I did. And every place that I went, right? So you do that for like three months at a time or whatever, and they would always say, please stay here. 
what could we do to get you to stay here? Because I was determined to be the hardest worker they ever had. Always, always, always. Um, I ended up settling down in Colorado. I married my high school sweetheart the whole time. So that was one thing that I was never, um, I always had a boyfriend, but I was never, um, I'm super fortunate that I was, I was never put in any, I think of all the drinking that I did and all the substances I ingested. And I'm very grateful that I was never in a situation, a scary situation with my body. And, um, and I was never wanting, I wasn't seeking multiple partners. That was just not part of my story. It was always um, very devoted to whoever I was with. So married my high school sweetheart. Um, we had our son in, in Colorado. So he's my oldest. He's going to be 20 in two days. Um, but we both kind of, we drank quite a bit, but I was definitely more into drugs than he was. He was very anti-drugs, but I just didn't really care about that. Um, and it, our marriage just slowly started to fall apart. I ended up moving, we both moved to Maryland. Marriage kind of fell apart and that was a huge turning point for me that really he rejected me and that was huge. I really lost my, so all of that ambition I had, it was gone. It slowly fell off of having all of this ambition, right? Um, so completely rejected by him and I had this three-year-old son and so I ended up moving back to upstate New York, northern, very northern New York, and um, moved in with my sister for a while. Um, I let my license go for um, x-ray and CT. Um, I just had no ambition. Um, I was drinking excessively. And literally two weeks after my marriage ended, I was in another relationship, which was like, I think of that now, and it's nauseating. But I knew, I look at it now and go, oh, I needed that validation. Um, within a year, year and a half, I was in inpatient treatment. And um, that was such a hard decision. And um, my husband now, who is also in recovery, he's been in recovery, he's been sober for 20 years. Um, he always says that he, it makes me emotional, he admires me so much because he also went to inpatient treatment and he says, I don't know that I could have done it if I had a child and you did that. And I also recognize and acknowledge that I am fortunate that his father could care for him and not all moms have that. Not all moms have a backup like that, that they can take themselves out of their lives for a little while to seek treatment like that. And so I have a, a very deep awareness for that and feel very, very fortunate. Um, so my son turned five years old while I was in inpatient treatment and I was there for 70 days. And, um, but it, it was the absolute best thing that I ever did because I've never looked back from that. I feel very fortunate that, um, you know, inpatient treatment worked for me one time. Um, I know that's not always the case. Um, and I have been lucky to be sober ever since. Um, my husband and I now, uh, we have two more children. 
and um, they are 13 and 12 currently. So I have a boy who is, again, I said turning 20. He's in the military. I'm a military mom. Heather knows this. I don't enjoy being a military mom. I call myself the very worst <laughs> military mom. And not that I'm bad, but internally, it's one of the most challenging things I have uh, faced as a mother. Um, and, you know, he is overseas. He's deployed, currently just got deployed about a week and a half ago. Um, so that's really hard. And um, my 13-year-old daughter, who is the classic middle child, who feels forgotten. And my 12-year-old son, who is um, high needs, he has severe anxiety and he has a dysregulated mood disorder. And um, he's gone through some really, really trying things that have brought my husband and I to our knees and, and trying to navigate all of that. So um, those are the things that brought me to want to do the work that I'm doing is I just feel deeply connected. Um, there, I'm so much more than a mom, but those things that, that happen in our lives because we are moms can't be set aside. They're such a part of who we are and how we, how we move forward in life and how we navigate all of that. So, so I think that's a, a, a brief history of, of me. Thank you so much, Newt. We can launch into this, but, or do you want to talk a little bit about the mom's recovery coaching? Um, however you want. Sure. We can talk about that now. I don't mind doing that. So that is, um, well, so I should say, because I think this is a funny story. So my husband and I, you can see my dog in the background here. My husband and I um, actually had a business together called The Powerless Couple because we were like, you know what? We both, it's such a huge part of who we are. What if we do this? Because my husband is also um, a coach. He has a full-time job, but he's also um, a holistic coach. Um, and we did that for about a year, year and a half. And then we realized we are horrible business partners. <laughs> and um, so when he was kind of like, I feel like I'm holding you back. And I think it's time for us to like, you just do what you're going to, you want to do what you really want to do. So I said, okay, I'm doing it. And as I reached out to these other mom coaches that I know to be like, Hey, do you want to be a part of this team? And as they said, yes, and I received their bios, I was giddy and I ran down. So I'm in my office. I run down to my husband and I said, I should have fired you so long ago. And he giggled, but it was so true because um, his passion is just elsewhere. And when you find people that are so passionate about the same thing as you and you feel their excitement, even in a bio, there's something magical that happens, right? And you're just like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And he was fine with it. He was like, babe, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but um, that's where we we throw in humor as much as possible. And, and we talk about it with our couples therapist, Penny. <laughs> But yeah, so a little bit more about that. So yeah, we have um, support groups 
for $29 a month and you can join any of the community support groups that we have. Right now we have between 20 and 25 a month. As the community grows, we hope for our offerings to grow. And we also have um, forward focused coaching groups. A lot of people don't, they're like, okay, what's the difference between a support group and a coaching group? Support group is just that. We are here to hold you and support you in this moment however it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're going through, a coaching group is, all right, I want to have meaningful ways to move forward and I need some help doing that. And that's what we do as coaches. We kind of go, okay, it's not therapy. And I always stress that there is a huge difference between coaching and therapy. And I always make sure, especially if I'm going to work one-on-one with someone, I really won't work with someone that hasn't done the work of therapy because you really can't move forward until you've done that therapy piece. And I always think it's important to point that out. Therapy is important for being able to move forward. There are so much greatness in what you just said. Um, and I'm really excited for you and the team. I, I know some of the women that you have uh, part of it and I, definitely can relate to the the passion part of it. You know, each one of us in these squares, you know, Four Sober Chicks came about because we were passionate about recovering out loud and giving voices to um, all the different ways that you can re- recover or change your life and do all of those things. Um, so we're definitely a passion-filled group as well. Um, and as a mom, I mean, I too went into treatment when I had, you know, little kids. So um, my kids are almost 15 and 17. And so they were 11 and nine when I went into treatment. And um, I also have an incredible, their father is incredible and and my, you know, my life partner. Um, And I also had a community that supported that because, um, you know, he had to work and I was, I'm the the mom, I'm the stay-at-home mom, like at that time in in China. um, But I knew my kids, I recover now for myself and then for everything else, because without recovery, I don't have any of those other things. But when I was on my knees and my whole world was falling apart, I went to treatment for them because I knew that if I didn't, then you know, I lost my mom to addiction, I was going to be on that same path. And so I went to treatment for them initially, and then I stayed for myself, and then I continued to recover for myself. But it was um, one of the most difficult decisions. So I really do have a great respect for all the moms that make that decision. And I think it actually is one of the reasons that a lot of women don't recover when they need to, because of that kind of um, responsibility that they have. So um, I'm going to hand it off to one of the other wonderful ladies um, and then we'll circle back. Um, so I, before we started recording, I was saying I, like, I genuinely think that moms as a classification, if you will, are hit really hard when it comes to alcohol abuse, um, whether that's the memes that you see on, oh, is three o'clock too late to open the bottle of wine, rosé all day, I drink because of my toddler, like you just name it, it's become, I mean, they've become a target 
honestly. And then you tack on COVID to that. And then you tack on, you know, companies now delivering alcohol to your front door. I look at that group as a whole and my heart just hurts because I was that mom. I was the mom of, I was having a rough day because my kids were intense and I'd look at the clock and I'd be like, it's too, too early. And some days I'd be like, nope. (laughs) And other days I'd be like, you got to at least make it till dinner. But I did not, I didn't know how much of being a mom, like that was the hardcore ignition to my alcohol problem. I drank to numb so many things in my past, trauma, the whole nine. But when I became a mom, it went through the roof. That was, but I'd already had that as my coping mechanism. You know, I was like, nope, this is how I know I can numb all this. And I'm not going to be, you know, really present with my kids. I need to zone out like the whole nine. And like I said, moms, like it is hard. It is hard to be a mom. I don't care what day and age you're growing up in. Um, But now with all of social media and the whole nine, we're put under a microscope that if you're not fitting this highlight reel of what you're seeing on social media of these moms who have these amazing pictures of their kids doing art and you're sitting there, haven't showered in seven days, hair's a mess, you haven't eaten properly, and you're watching your kids roll around in the tub with just soap, like it's chaos. It is complete chaos. And it hurts me the fact that we have a day and age where we're painting a picture of what these moms cannot aspire to at all. Because that is feeding into every, whether it's alcohol, drugs, I mean, you name it, it's going to feed into all these things. And it's just so sad because moms are just at, they're pushed to the max this day and age. Yeah. Well, and so are kids. And that's Mm -hmm. what, you know, I mean, I think we're gaslighting our kids when we do that. Right. And being a child of an addict as well. And, and just, they know, Mm -hmm. you know, they know my daughter looked at me and was like, mommy, you're acting funny or your, 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 your words, you know, and she was eight, you know, I mean, and, and I was just like, don't question me. You know, I'm your mom. I gaslighted her. It was horrible. Oh, I gaslighted them being like, wait till the day when you're a mom. And then you tell me that you don't crack open a bottle of wine at noon or whatever. And my kids were young. Wine to them was my juice. That was mommy's juice. So and they knew if I had that glass in my hand, they were not supposed to talk to mom. And so like, I look at what I went through and the guilt that I have over that. And then I look on social media and I'm like, oh my God, we are failing these moms. Like we have got, so all that being said, I think what you're doing specifically for moms is absolutely huge. Cause I will tell you there's mom groups out there who, yes, it's a great place to come for support and the whole nine, but I've noticed a lot of groups with a lot of stigmas to where it's if you're a mom and you're getting sober, you're now shaming the other people, the other moms who are drinking, you know, mm-hmm. so there's that level too. So the grace and compassion that you have 
in this, I think is completely different than what I've seen personally mm -hmm. in other mom support groups, for sure. Mm, thank you. I appreciate that so much. And I want to um, speak to some of the things that you said that it is so true that alcohol and wine, especially, mm -hmm. is taught to us as being part of the mom experience. Mm -hmm. And it takes people like us to say, no, it doesn't. One of my most unpopular things that I say is alcohol is not a coping skill. Mm -hmm. We are taught that it is. You have a rough week. You have a rough day. You've earned this thing. What have we earned? We've earned this thing that is horrible for our health. Mm -hmm. It's horrible for our safety, for our children's safety. What are we earning? What are we earning? And and I hope to spread that the idea that we deserve so much better than that. Yeah. We deserve to right when we've had a rough day, we deserve a yoga class. Mm -hmm. We deserve true connection with other people. We deserve, you know, time with a book or a hike, being out in nature. Like these are things that are good for us that feed our souls and whatever that is. Listen, I'm not the biggest person on nature, so I'm not speaking to my own experience there, but um you know, like it's alcohol is not it. It just really. Well, I totally agree, Lauren. And I, and, and if that end of the day, you know, means you're going to cry or you're, you know, I mean, it's all the bad stuff too. Like, yes, like definitely you go and you, you fill it, you fill your life with other healthy things to help you feel joy and, and to celebrate, but also to, you know, if you're having that really bad day or you're going through that bad breakup, you know, instead of coming home and, and you, know, you can cry too, you're going to have to feel the emotions. And that's, you know, for me, that's what I used alcohol to not do. And so, but I'm with you. I mean, this, in this day and age, it's just, it's, it's wild how many people are just so amazed by my sobriety and like, how do you do it? You know, and, and it's, 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 it's interesting. And after it's a while, don't you almost find yourself feeling, how does everyone else not? Yes. How, like, and I don't mean that in like this really judgmental way, but when it becomes such a part of your life, you just can't imagine going back to that. Like, I can't imagine weekends hungover. You know what I mean? It's been 15 years for me. So like, we just went on a trip and I napped every day. And I was, my husband and I were like, can you imagine if we were drinking? Like, I'm exhausted just being here. If we were drinking, we wouldn't even like be a part of this entire experience. And that's what happens so often. So really, I think sometimes what people don't realize is we really are the lucky ones. We are. Hey, Lauren, I have a question for you for moms, because I know I uh, encountered this as a mom in my sobriety. Um, when I first admitted I was an alcoholic and I went to my daughter and told her, she was, she was shocked. She didn't realize I was an alcoholic. And then she was like, mommy, what does this mean? Um, you know, I'm worried my friends are going to, you know, because I started this brand on Instagram. She's like, I don't know what to tell them. So it was really a learning experience. I go, me neither, Liv, but we're going to learn together. 
And so we did that. Uh, do you have any kind of, do you offer that support and advice for moms as well? That is so interesting. And, and I should say like a lot of times I don't necessarily offer advice as a coach, that's not really, you know, what we do, but I do say, here's what I do and here's what's worked for me um, when people ask. So for me, I just have been as honest as I can with all of my children. Therapy has helped guide me through that because sometimes I think as moms, we might overshare, undershare, and it's, it's, it's nice to have that help to say, this is what might be age appropriate. And I can tell you, I have needed that guidance because I'm an open book. So sometimes here I am telling my eight-year-old child, oh, it's this and this. And like, well, maybe they don't quite understand that. So it's okay to ask for professional guidance in that. How do I explain this in a way so that my kids get it? Now, my youngest son, Blaine, it's just been his entire life. So he doesn't know anything different. He knows that his parents don't drink. He knows they used to, and it was really bad and not good. He constantly says he has no desire to drink. He gets anxiety around people that do. And that's not something I've tried to put on any of my children. I've always, um, their experience is theirs. I've never said, you should never drink. Um, I've always just shared, hey, you have to be on the lookout because both dad and I, have that so you have to be extra vigilant if this is something you want to do um but it wouldn't surprise me if my son has gone to his school and literally just been like my mom's an alcoholic and drug addict like because we've just been very open about sharing that and and using the appropriate language but it wouldn't surprise me if he's done that now we live in a small town and people know me so most of the time they would be like i I totally know your mom and <laughs> maybe we could talk about your wording, but really like, that's what it is. I'm in recovery from those things. But I think that's so great. I, I mean, that's breaking yeah. the stigma. It's educating them. It's making it not weird or bad. Or, I mean, this is your mom and dad and yeah. we have a disease and, but we're managing it. And um, yeah. Yeah. This is our life and this is our story and we want our, um, we want to be open with our, our children about yeah. it too. And like, like I said, being, they need to be mindful of that as well. We know those statistics. And so making sure that they, they have that information is really important. And like I said before, they know, they know, kids know. They do. They absolutely do. They don't have any substances yet to like, you know, make it go away or make it all, you know, dilute well, it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll push back on that because I think they do. They have their phones. They have social media. Mm -hmm. They may not be addicted to alcohol, drugs, porn, sex, but there is a epidemic going on with young kids and technology to where, I mean, I even had to have the talk with my 12 or 13 year old daughter last night to where I, I make it to their phone shut off at 6 PM. She started bawling mm -hmm. and I was like, okay. I was like, we compared the two. I was like, I had an addiction to a substance, not to say that you being on your phone is going to ruin your life, but you need to understand how easy this is to become addicted to. So I, like I said, I, I pray there's no adolescent kid, but man, the instant gratification of our time is addictive. Um, and that plays a huge part with kids.
Yeah, I, I agree. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And I can tell you, so since I have a child that's almost 20, and then my next one is 13, um, we have, and we're on the stricter end of the spectrum as far as phones with our kids and when we allow our kids to have phones. But I can tell you, there has been a big shift between what we did with our 20 year old and what we are doing with our 13 year old because of exactly all the things that you just talked about, Meredith. We saw what that did to him because that was a time when it was kind of still just coming about. And we've said, we're not doing that again. We are going to place a lot more restrictions. And I actually have just recently started considering myself being in recovery from social media overuse. I think that I have to recognize that I am also part of the problem in my home. And if I can't, can barely pull away, how do we expect children to do it? I'm struggling. How can we expect kids to be able to regulate that? It's, and, I think you bring up a huge point. Well, and that is the conversation that it ended up being is, well, if we're not allowed on your our phones, you and dad, and I was like, valid point. I was like, we are going to have a family meeting tomorrow night and we need to all get on this bandwagon of at six o'clock, our phones are dead. Now, of course I have work. My husband has work. Sometimes it's, I was like, that's, that's different. If someone calls you and you need to answer the phone, awesome. But maybe it should be in another room to where you have to hear it ring and, and yes. go. So that is a conversation. And she called us out on it, which I am super proud of, but it's the same, same thing. Yeah, yeah, we are feeding into that. I highly recommend a book called Digital Minimalism. Mm. Um, my husband and I both read that and it, it gave us a very different perspective and offers a lot of statistics on like the history of how, um, you know, technology and social media and our phones kind of um, how that's evolved and, and taken over that generation of, of kids and how we have to be mindful of that. So really important book if anyone is interested in that. To let Dana hop in. I know she had unmuted at one point. <laughs> I've been trying to hop in the whole time. It's okay. <laughs> um, I, so now we're going to have to backtrack to all of this other stuff. So I am a bonus mom. I don't have children of my own. Um, I have three, three bonus children in my, in my marriage, my second marriage, um, soon to be 21, soon to be 19, soon to be 16. Um, they're all addicted to their phones. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And we, that, that's a struggle as well, um, in this household, but, you know, getting to where, what Tracy was saying, like the kids know, um, you know, I, I it was opposite. It was one of those the youngest at the time, um, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old was like, oh, well, you deserve a monkey today. I'll, you know, but he was using it to get a soda as well. But it was like, he knew he like monkey is the golden monkey from victory brewing here in Downingtown, Pennsylvania in the USA was my, my drink of choice, which is a Belgian triple nine and a half percent beer. <laughs> um, and, you know, he would just, plot down those stairs and he would come up and he's like, here's your monkey, you know, and, and he thought it was cool and cute and everything else. And so did I, and I cringe thinking about it, you know, every time it comes into my, my head, I'm like, oh my God, what did I do to these children? And they're not even mine, you know? <laughs> um, so I've got that different perspective of, 
you know, screwing up somebody else's children. <laughs> um, thankfully, I have not, I don't think. Um, I ask them frequently and they're, they're all very cool with what's going on with the recovery and that, you know, they're very proud of me and, um, and very respectful, um, you know, especially as we have one that's turning 21 and is looking forward to going and getting drinks with his father. So um, my husband still drinks, um, you know, it doesn't bother me, but it's a different experience, right? When it's, when it's, they're not your children um, and you're making an impression. Um, so I'm lucky that the middle one that's out in college now, and then the youngest, they don't want to have anything to do with it um, and drinking and drugs and all that. They're into their sports and music and, and school and things. So um, I got very, very, very lucky with all of that. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, still a mom, but a distant mom, I guess you could call it. And, and you know, you're still so much a part of these kids' lives and, and how they develop and how they see things. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's truth for, for step parents as well. Yes. Um, um, I do want to say, so we have um, a stepmom in our, as a coach. And when I had my initial conversation with her, uh, she did ask, she said, um, so, you know, like, I'm a stepmom, like, what, what if that becomes an issue? And I said, uh, very clearly, I want you to know that you are a mom. And that is one of the very reasons why I have asked you to be a part of this, to validate every stepmom, every foster mom, every mom that is out there. You are a mom. This is part of your experience, right? So my oldest son, he technically, and my husband is his stepdad. He calls him dad. Whether your husband's children, whether your stepchildren call you mom or not, my he also calls his um, his stepmom, mom. And I've always 100% acknowledged that we are all just his mom and dad. Like, we're just his parents. That's all he's ever wanted. And our kids deserve that. So, and just as much as you deserve to be acknowledged as being a stepmom, it is hard. It is hard to walk into children's lives and navigate your way through that. Where is my place? Where is their place? Where are those lines? And especially, so my son was four years old when my current husband came into his life. That's very different than you coming into your kids' lives as they're a little bit older. So I just really wanted to hugely acknowledge you for that. That's a lot of work and it's really hard stuff. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. And, and it's just, right. We sometimes these labels that we put on it. And that's one of the things that's been really important to me to just say, like, we're all, we're all moms. We're just all moms here. We're all trying to do the best that we can. And sometimes I'm sure that, and I don't know if it's been part of your experience. It makes me so sad when I see families that, um, you know, have so much hatred toward one of one another and put children in the middle of that hatred, it sickens me. And I just want people to know, and yes, there are circumstances where children are in danger and there's abusive situations and I acknowledge that, 
but there are also many situations where none of that is happening and children become pawns and it's really sad and it's it's really hurtful and and we're damaging our children by doing that so if i can offer a space where people can come and and move forward in meaningful ways that bring families together and help them move forward and help their children move forward that's huge that's huge and what i want to be a part of i'm just really i mean the whole process of giving moms a space in which they can um deal with these all these different I mean, we've all had different experiences but they're all very similar and i agree with what meredith was saying about motherhood being kind of the gasoline that was thrown on the fire you know i already had parents you know that were addicts i lost my mother to addiction like i already had the foundation i already had the kindling um there you know but it was a slow burn you know and i and 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 but having kids really set it all on fire. And I think for me, a couple of things happened. One, I thought I was gonna be the stay-at-home mom and I was gonna like make Play-Doh and make art. And I am an artist, but like my kids in my art studio made me insane. And I was gonna have like this, and this was before Facebook, but you still have this idea of what motherhood is gonna be. And I also, my childhood was a shit show. So I had no idea how to be emotionally available, how to be patient, how to be, how to play. Like I didn't have any of those tools. And I don't think you know what tools you're missing until you have the child in your, in, in you, you know, we all are, none of us have all the tools. We just don't know which ones we don't have until we are presented with our child. Like, um, and so, I felt incredibly inadequate. I felt really lonely because I had lost that like work engagement, you know, like at work, people don't realize you get accolades or you get congratulations, you get results from what you're doing. You know, motherhood is messy and dirty and no one tells you you're doing a good job and you know, they cry and like you do 18 things one day and it works and none of them work, you know, like all of those kind of stresses. and. So the alcohol just kind of dimmed that voice that was telling me that I wasn't good enough, that I was not being a good mom and, and that just fed itself. And I think that like a lot of us go into parenthood thinking it's going to be one way and for whatever reason, it's not. And for me, that really just, it just, I couldn't manage that. So yeah. having a place where people can come together and share what that looks like, you know, mom's groups, oh my God, just because we all had children did not mean we had anything in common. It was the most toxic place ever. And I was very much a part of it. That's where my drinking buddies came from. Yeah. You know, like, and so to have a space where women can come together and um, have a positive place to discuss these stressors is so key. Yeah. And speaking to some of the things you're talking about, right? So we have this picture of what we think being a mom is going to look like, and not just for us, but our children, 
And one of my favorite quotes about kids is from the Kite Runner. Our children are not coloring books. We don't get to fill them with our favorite colors. And that, like, I remember reading that and going, oh, whoa, what have I been doing? Right? Because you can't help it. You have these, like, dreams or aspirations for your kids. And, and I remember saying, I want my kids to be independent and I want to raise these kids to be independent. And then they go out and they do these things that are independent and they're different than the independence I was thinking of. <laughs> no, I want I was thinking independent like me, not, you know, so like when my oldest son joined the military, I was like, like, this is something I have no concept of and um, just no clue about any of it. And as much as I wanted to say, please don't do this, please don't do this. Not one time did I say that. I said, how can I support you? How can I support you? Because his dreams are his dreams and I don't get to put my dreams on him. But that doesn't mean that it's not hard. That doesn't mean that, and, and that speaks to another thing that one of the most challenging things for me as a mom has been figuring out what is my story to tell and what is their story to tell and where that line is, right? Because my children have gone through some really horrifying and scary things and it's there's parts of me that has to heal through that as well and come to potential spaces to be supported, but it's not all my story to tell and learning. So I don't go down the street and tell, you know, Jean, hey, guess what happened at our house last week? I'm very mindful with how I process my own healing with what is going on in my children's lives. And I think that's really important is knowing that line. And it's hard. It's really hard. But I think that's why creating spaces such as mom recovery coaching can give moms a place to share what they choose, right? To have that agency to go, let me check this place out is this a space where I might be able to let go of some of these things? You know, that's huge for me. I wish that I had that years ago when my, my youngest son was going through some of his worst times with his mental health. I'm so fortunate that I have spaces like this now that I can do that. So, so Lauren, where, where do moms find you? So my website is mom recovery coaching dot com and um that and i also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching as well um but yeah i mean the groups are really the the core of of what we're doing and um i really just want to mention the other coaches andrea bernstein cindy roberts jeremy howell and emily jolie and they're just really fabulous um diverse wonderful women that each bring their own piece of all of this and all have different ranges of ages and children like i said stepmom like it's all valid it's all important and awesome. um it's it's a beautiful project that we've brought together and do you do live and online so all online 
um, it's in the groups. So right now we have um, Monday through Friday, one group a day. They're all at different times because I've even had people, you know, reach out to me from Europe like, hey, what are the times? So we do have some um, daytime, I should say daytime Eastern time um, groups so that it can accommodate uh, people elsewhere as well. Awesome. I just had coffee with Andrea. Oh, <laughs> on Sunday, so yay. That's it's amazing. nice to, to have all these connections and how they all intertwine with one another. And um, yeah, that's really, that's really great. Yeah, she's wonderful. I'm so excited to have her. So as we close, I just wanted to, when I was in treatment, I was really concerned about the future of my children and all of the damage that I had done. And, you know, because you know, a lot of what I struggle with was laid down from my parents and their addictions and, and all of that stuff. And someone told me in treatment that the statistically, yes, they are more predisposed to addiction, but the statistics show that children who have parents in recovery are less likely to be in addicts themselves when they're, you know, um, than the general population. So I took great, um, I don't think peace is the word for it, but um, maybe uh, great solace in knowing that being in recovery could have that effect potentially on my children and, um, and changing the kind of the trajectory of their lives. And um, so I think as we're talking about models in recovery, it's important to kind of acknowledge that, that what we're doing is going to change how they view substances, how they view managing stress in their lives, how they view coping, um, and that by doing it out loud and having age-appropriate conversations, we laid the groundwork for that. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And as I said before, it, it can be difficult to know, you know, exactly the words to use, but it is important to have those conversations. They're watching even more so than they're listening. They're watching. So they're watching us make different choices than a lot of right other people around them. They're watching us and how we are willing to learn and grow and change. And that's important. Mm-hmm. And how to pick the pieces up, you know, how to make mistakes, how to, how to, you know, this, this Facebook world, Instagram world, social media world that we live in that where everything looks perfect, that does not help anyone. It doesn't help our children either, that they have to live up to this standard of like overscheduled perfectionism uh, that is not attainable. Uh, without yeah. the use of substances. <laughs> I mean, realistically, yeah. it's just not, you know. And so mentoring that for our children is not, it's not helpful. I want to say that on a regular basis, and we used to do this once a week, we don't do it as frequently now, but once a week at the dinner table, we would go around the table and um, all relay something that we failed at that week. Because me growing up as a perfectionist, I wanted to break that cycle and have our kids feel like it's okay to fail. Share it with us. What did you fail at this week? Even if it's something as simple as I desperately tried to um, score a goal in soccer and I failed. Good for you because you tried. 
And that's like, I just really want my kids to know it's okay to fail at things. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here and talking with us. Thank you for your passion and, and hard work in creating a space for moms to recover and to get support and to heal. Um, I mean, your work is invaluable and, and the women that you're doing with it are all uh, amazing too. So I wish you the greatest of successes with this new venture and all that you're doing. Thank you so much. It was an thank you, Lauren. joy to meet all of you. Really thank you. A great conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time and we will see you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and send us a comment. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at four sober chicks. That's number four sober chicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.